it is time to tune up the band, and you're looking at the real deal now. <laughs> For it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Reardon and Dan, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. Chaps, it has been a wacky couple of weeks, so I feel that term is quite apropos. How are yeah. you two bloody doing? Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dan. Poor, poor Dan. We'll get through this together, sweetie. <laughs> we will. We will. We keep on rocking. We will, as as usual. Well, Tetsuya and Ito saying, we'll get through this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, I, do have, I do have wings, though, so that helps. You know what? The world's a better place when you have wings at, at, at hand. It is. It really is. <laughs> Ah, so it's, you know, we're back. It is Black History Month 2022, and we're back, and we are celebrating and putting a spotlight on some of the best wrestlers out there within the black within the black community i'm really looking forward to this one um the one we announced it uh, and did you know our selection of peeps it's very different to what we did last year because we went for a lot of popular guys but i thought for this one shine a spotlight on the ones that don't get mentioned as much as yeah. as we as you would like to um so i i definitely wanted to give the props to everyone we're doing on 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 this this year's one especially with the great wrestlers because i'm very much looking forward to doing the great wrestlers episode as well as the teddy long episode i'm hoping he unblocks me this time (laughs) wait i was like do you remember the mass exodus of blocking people that teddy long went on apparently because he's he's twitter got hacked and i was one of the people that got blocked i know right it's horrible. Yeah, so it's, uh, just, oh, fair enough, but I was about to say, when did we when did we attack Teddy Long? Yeah, we've we've never once atten- attacked Teddy Long. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I got very upset. Anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys... We are the real deal. And do you want to know why? Because we are pending and always will be. Because you've always, always got to be pending. We're pending so much we shake our heads like D-Lo walking down the street. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) He's right, you know. (laughs) Before we get on to our episode, our first episode for Black History Month 22, all about D-Lo Brown, if you couldn't tell. It is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. I feel like that's one story we we could only talk about, considering we did a whole episode on it, isn't it, Dan? I mean, you you know. <laughs> <laughs> So it was revealed that the White Rabbit was indeed Carrion Cross. <laughs> it was Joe Gacy. Oh, oh no. It, uh, Bray Wyatt is back in WWE. Um, obviously, absolutely love to see it because uh, I think as a creative mind, Bray Wyatt is probably one of the best ones wrestling's had in a good while. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm happy to see investment behind it. I'm happy to see a lot of stock put behind it. And... I have a relative degree of trust that Triple H will 
do it in the right way. Like considering the who they who they've employed now as uh, as the role of director of long term creative, um, I think you put a lot of stock on Rob Fee because he's got an incredible resume to boot, and on top of that, and I feel with a lot of people trying to stir the pot about him making so many sweeping changes to creative that it's you know you know he's he's become a made target and the rest it's, it's people making bollocks up if anything i think a lot of people seem to be a bit intimidated that rob fee has managed to have some creative cohesion within the world of professional wrestling and so far yeah, he's done not, a tremendous not, job with the white rabbit uh, reveal let's not also mention the fact though that wrestling has become is such a creatively stagnant industry <laughs> it's true no, but like but like people are there and they're like oh all this bray wyatt stuff oh it's so it's so pointless and i'm like this is what other media has been doing for years exactly yeah like yeah. other media has been adopting this like, this concept of like broader law and self-discovery and things like you know like the kind of arg kind of stuff yes like bands have been doing this for years film has been doing it since like the 80s mm-hmm. um tv joined in with it kind of with the advent of streaming services having their own shows yeah, yeah. wrestling has then continually stuck i mean basically i would argue that characterization in wrestling has not evolved since what the attitude era i would i would yeah i would go as far as saying that maybe maybe and, maybe ruthless aggression but that's really saying that's not really saying much <laughs> but like the thing i really like with this is i really like the concept that we might finally see in mainline wrestling a character whose motivation is not just i need the title exactly mm the character's motivation moves beyond that and becomes about like i have a score to settle i have um you know i just want to get to this person it's a wrestler with law you love to see it don't you <laughs> and it's like and it, it's good because i know obviously people are like oh but like what about championships and stuff and i'm like i don't understand how people can look at the undertaker and then when someone else comes mm-hmm. along and tries a similar concept it's like, oh, that, well, that's just stupid, though. No, please mm. embrace some creativity. Anything <laughs> to be different. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's not to say that championships are a bad thing. I mean, take a look at AEW. <laughs> I think a, I mean, a lot of people complain that they have way too many titles. To me, it's like, well, it's just, it's, it's something for every single person who's currently employed with them to be going for and aiming again, for. Have, they, again, it's story I have, motivation. I have, to, I have to, I have to stress once again that CMLL does in fact exist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Until you're on CMLLs level, you have twenty plus titles. Don't Ex- talk. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, like, I, yeah. I, 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 I love it. I love seeing Bray back, and you know, he's got a bunch of people in with him. Although apparently, one of them is. Uh, alleged to be eva marie <laughs> that's weird i mean the tiktok which so, was making the rounds so about run, that so run with it <laughs> um, um i know one of them has been apparently confirmed to be former wwe cw alum colin delaney you're kidding me 
No. Good on Colin, honestly, because he's made um, a quite a career for then, himself. <laughs> I know that when they did the appearance in the costumes, they had Grayson Waller doing one of them, and I believe someone else. I can't remember who that was on the NXT script. Something tells me. I believe it might have been Joe Gacy. Um, Maybe. Don't don't. Don't, you know, quote me on that. From what I heard, it was Joe Gacy and Grayson Waller. Someone told me it might have been Dexter Loomis as well. But again, everything's not 100% confirmed. All I know for no, a but fact... Dexter Loomis, just give me Spooky Bastard versus exactly. Spooky Bastard. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. All I yeah. can say for certain is it's great to see Bray back. It's great to see him being able to flex his creative wings. I hope that with the new regime, uh, with in terms of creative, that Bray is given a lot more uh, faith in his abilities to be able to do it and be able to knock it out of the park. Um, it's just, it's you know, like we said in the episode, it's just bloody nice to see Bray. It's just, it's we all love Bray because we love spooky bollocks. <laughs> I won't lie to you guys. I won't lie to you. I don't have hope. I've been burned too many times. I don't. Have I know hope. what you mean. Sorry. I'm I know. Sorry. I, and I really that's I have that in the back of my head. I, I, this is why I'm saying I'm hoping. I'm really, really hoping this time around that it does work. I think in more in more of a um, I guess in more of a morale and vibe sense. Um, what a difference nearly a hundred days can make for WWE in that sense. It seems mm. that that the, 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 the mood uh, is a lot different. If if it is it like. You know, as I said, Triple H has got a long, long way to go to get rid of the foul stench that Vince has left on that company. But he, so, so far, he's laid a solid foundation. It's going to take more than just 100 days, though. If anything, I think it's yeah. we need to see what Hunter does for the next five years and whether yeah. WWE can really, really make something oh, of itself boundaries again uh, make something of itself on the level of what it once was in its heyday i'm not necessarily here and sitting and saying they should go back to the attitude era because that's horrible that's ridiculous Absolutely um, not. But, it, but it's it's the things like the the cultural engagement exactly cultural presence it's about making sure that they stand out as a defined product Exactly. I mean, we're getting Logan Paul versus Roman in November. Sorry, is that is that them putting hitting the cultural zeitgeist of what it once was in '98 with Tyson? In a way, in a way, yes. But I know it's in service to Saudi Arabia, so I can't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Honest to goodness, though, it's just um, I, I, for me, it's it's just it's it's good to see that the mainstream wrestling product is now finally looking like it might actually have some creative ambition for here's my Here's my one question, though. Do you think that Bray Wyatt will be allowed to do any form of self-aware introspection on the company with Triple H in charge? I would That's love to big... see... See, now, there were several caveats he had to do for that, especially when you think about the Firefly Funhouse match at yes. WrestleMania, would he be allowed to go further with that? It remains to be seen. Um, especially when you consider, you know, Hunter's relationship to, like with Vince and stuff. Um, if it were me, I would let him go loose. <laughs> I would let him yeah. just go loose. Because I'm, I'm just saying it in terms, right? Vince is out of the company. Yeah. Exactly. Now, whether or not he actually is, but, <laughs> and and um, we start up the the, the shadow man talk, um, <laughs> is a different prospect entirely. 
but it's kind of like I've said also with progress as well, which is that at some point WWE is going to have to face up to its past. It has to. It's got to. And the problem is, is that I feel like that is not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, we're still going to get the WWE propaganda. There is no, there is no doubt yeah, in my yeah. mind that so many network shows and documentaries that will be made will still tow the company propaganda line. There is, I mean, they've been doing it strong for years at this point. Because I was watching a thing recently about, I think it was about DX, Mm. and how they sold up the DX invasion as this, like, one massive watermark, like, moment. They keep saying it's a tank. It wasn't a tank. It was a jeep. (laughs) But it's like what all they did was they just turned up to the venue outside. Yeah. And they were under express orders. If Haku walks out, leave. Yes. Like they didn't invade the show. <laughs> they just turned up to the venue. I could do that. I fucking Cody did that when he was at the bullet club when he was with the bullet club. You know, it's it wasn't it's not the the tent pole moment they make it out to be. If you know what I mean. Although I do like what Bischoff has said, like in subsequent interviews when talked about that, he said he should have let them in. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing Bischoff at that time, he probably would have if he wasn't told not, if he was told, you know, if he wasn't told that he shouldn't let them in. I reckon he probably would have. No, he would have. He would (laughs) have. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're going to be, you know, WWE are always going to pat themselves on the back. It's that that's yeah. it's what they've been doing, as I said, for the well, ever since they well doubled down even more so since they won the the battle with WCW. Um, and I imagine in, in a scenario, in a scenario, if potentially like you know, it, the same fate unfortunately happens with AEW, they would do the exact same thing with them. Like, there's no yeah. doubt in my mind they would. Um, which is why people. Who's who, like our dear listeners? If you are on this thing of it's one one or the other, it, 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 it's we're so far removed from that. I think we should be grateful that we have two very viable major promotions in the world right now. Not yeah. only for us as fans, but for talent, cast and crew backstage. It's it makes. Uh, I think we always keep saying a monopoly on any sort of industry is never freaking good. <laughs> especially yeah. professional wrestling and i can't understand why fans think one game should be the one in should be the only thing in town anyone who who had to live through the universe era yes should be able to tell you that one company having a monopoly over the entire industry is a bad idea yes, yes. if you take if you if you take one lesson one moral from our podcast it is that monopolies are always always without question bad and that potentially also includes the board game monopoly <laughs> i mean guarantee i mean if we t- i mean god could you imagine if you talk to the inventor of that board game god they'd be going they'd be angry they'd be so angry <laughs> i swear most pe- most businessmen probably uh, grew up on that, thinking they could do the exact same thing. Hence, why we have Amazon. <laughs> like, like Lizzie Maggie is rolling in her grave to, when it comes to what happened to her game. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's 
it's an exciting time for professional wrestling. I keep reiterating that to a lot of yeah. people I talk to. Um, now, that being said, of course, when it comes to AEW, they have been in very much on a creative downturn um, for the longest time. Uh, well, not for the longest time. Ever since I feel like All Out, really, they've been yeah. been a bit. Of, they've been going down. I mean, but here's the thing: a company, you know, three years in, there was always going to be a roadblock as big as this. It's what you do during that and what, how you come out of it afterwards that really shows you what you are as a company. Um, this dynamite, uh, this week's dynamite, was a very good dynamite. I was very, very happy to see this dynamite. It's it's on excellent form everyone got a chance to shine on this on this episode of dynamite um special attention i think goes to nyla rose for yeah. her promo with the tbs championship which seems which a lot of people seem to actually like and i'm really glad that everyone's unified finally and actually mm-hmm. seeing that nyla rose is actually really freaking good despite your political standing on what you think you know and who you what your opinion of nyla rose is um, Be gone, transphobes. Exactly. And then Hangman Page's promo to John Moxley was incredible. Uh, it is what it was. <laughs> Truly a generational promo, if you ask me. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm depressed. The medicine is not working. <laughs> but I keep fighting. And he punched himself in the face. Like, properly pun- He gave himself a shiner for punching himself in the face. I cannot tell you how accurate that statement is, though. Yes. Like, it's actually such a mood. <laughs> it, oh, it, I was watching that going, fucking hell, this is this is of everyone of my age group. This is, this this is what Hangman Page is talking about. about. This is why I love Hangman, because he, he's a babyface, but then the babyface point comes from he's literally fighting against himself. Exactly. And I know exactly. that's a difficult concept to illustrate in wrestling. <laughs> Um, also, may I just say as well, two great things coming out of Rampage. One, The Kingdom making their debut appearance. It's great to see Mike Bennett, Maria Kanellis, and Matt Taven in AEW going for the AE. Uh, sorry, the Ring of Honor Tag Championships. Uh, you know what? Just like out, like all that out of it. It's good to see Mike Bennett in good health because there was a time where he was not in in a great headspace and health wise, he yeah. wasn't doing incredibly well after his uh, release from the WWE. It's just great to see him back doing really well. Um, shout outs to Mike Bennett and like during um during the COVID time when he was with in Ring of Honor, great work he was doing there. Um, Stu Grayson back, I am so happy to see Stu Grayson back with the with the yeah. Dark Order. Yeah, because um, I, I you know Stu was one of the most underrated members of the Dark Order, honest to goodness. And every match he was involved in, he always popped the crowd huge. So it's good to see him back, reunited once more with his, with his dear brother and friend, Evil Uno. Um, I hope he gets his props this time around, if he, if he, if he is indeed back full-time with AEW. Um, just, I'd love to see it, love to see it. Um, apart from that, I mean, Orange Cassidy winning the All-Atlantic Championship. It's probably Choice. the big news coming out of it. Great. I, like I mean, I love the fact that Orange, uh, Orange and Pack have some outstanding matches with one another. They they are work so incredibly well together, and they well, always. One of my favorite about it was when uh, there was someone that said, um, 
Pac's body is not built to be whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good description. That's very good. Oh, man. Honestly, he does sell the DDT as if he's been run over twice. Yes. <laughs> no, honestly, um, a, a, a very interesting decision. Although it's a decision that I'm not angry about one single bit. Do you reckon that at some point this will eventually lead to us getting what was horrendously stolen from us in Minoru Suzuki versus Orange Cassidy? I reckon so. I mean, Suzuki at the moment's in America. He's making more regular appearances over here in the US. I reckon it might probably happen. I'd love to see it happen, honestly. Honestly, if it were me, though, Takeshita is your next All-Atlantic champion. I'm oh, putting yeah. it out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, where does Pat go after this? He's got the trios championship still with the Death Triangle. Um, I mean, I definitely want to see him going after another championship or at least having a long run with the trios title. Um, if there's anyone who's going to probably beat Death Triangle, I would give it to the Dark Order because it just makes so much sense if to give it to the Dark yeah. Order. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, it's, again, just to say, like, with all this, it's just exciting to see AEW, you know, finally hitting up after such a, kind of a very horrendous down. <laughs> it's been pretty bleak, I'll be honest. <laughs> that and then some. That and then some. But, yeah, um, good to see AEW back on good form. Let's just hope you don't fuck it up, Tony. <laughs> That's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> I ain't gonna stand for this fucking shit. <laughs> um, in terms of other news, Dan, is there anything else that's kind of uh been on your mind, or anything else that's come to mind? No, not a huge amount, really. Um, there's been a few kind of uh bits and pieces um here and there. Um, I haven't been doing. I haven't been able to keep up with. You know, um, um, a massive amount mm. um, recently. So. Yeah. <laughs> One more thing as well, actually, if we're going to, if, if, if to, to kind of wrap this up, um, send our condolences to the friends and family of Katsuya Kitamura, who un tragically passed away this week at the age of 36. Um, honestly, a big swole dude and won the New Japan Young Lion Cup in 2017. He had all the facets to be a really, really awesome wrestler. But it's just a shame that a string of concussions and, and bad luck um, kind of forced Kitamura to retire early. He then went on to do uh, mixed martial arts for a little bit as well as bodybuilding. Um, I'm, I'm shocked. Like, 36 yeah. is no age, <laughs> honest to goodness. No age at all. Um, but no, yeah, the rest in peace, Katsuya Kitamura. Um, also, uh, as well, in light of that as well, Anoki's wake was this week, and there was something kind of poignant to see um, the Three Musketeers, Tanahashi, um, Shibata, um, and Nakamura all together once more. It was sort of very poignant yeah. to see that. Um, but yeah, um with that, are we are we done with the news, Dan? I think we're done with the news. Lovely stuff. Uh, Reardon, recommendation corner. What have you got for us this time, sir? Guys, I have something different. 
for the first time. But I got to ask you guys a question. How do you guys feel about board games? Love them. Love them. Love them. I, I thought as much. I thought as much. <laughs> yeah. Board games have gone, like, huge in the last, I want to say, 10, 15 years. I want to say. I mean, board game cafes you... weren't a thing until, like, quite yeah, recently. Yeah. I know, right? The fact that there are board game cafes. And speaking of which, I went to a board game cafe this week, and I discovered a game that I highly recommend, which is Onitama. Mm. Onitama is a martial arts game, technically, Ooh. kind of. It is an abstract chess-like game in which two masters of two masters of martial arts are battling it out. So basically, imagine basically if you want to play like Cobra Kai, this is how you play it. Oh, he just really, said, he said the magic really, words. <laughs> I know, right? I know. It's a really fun game with um. The, the the general basic is that you have a load of cards. You each get two, or well, when I played it, it was two. It might be three, mm-hmm. might be some different there. And those cards have your move options. Nice. Basically, like you know how you you know how you can only move certain ways for certain pawns in chess. Mm-hmm. This with this, it's randomized. Mm. And you use each, and once you use a card, you slide it over, and your opponent gets the card. Nice. So you're constantly mixing and matching what kind of moves you can make in this battle of wits and duels. It was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> really easy to learn. I'm not like the smartest guy when it comes to learning this sort of stuff. But <laughs> no, I really, really do recommend on Onitama. I probably will buy it. I tell you this much. Next time I go to a board cafe, I will I will inquire and have a look round if they do have that because I really, really would love to play that. Matter of fact, probably going to go to a board game cafe around my birthday. So, you know, you two are invited. Yeah. Anyone else is listening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, if, if, if it's like that, I might I might just buy it, get the, get the, get the expansion move packs. Like, it's a Ooh. good game. Oh, you, it, well, 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 you're bringing that with you if you do get it, Rudin. Really. <laughs> mm. <laughs> righty, fellas, with that, it is time to get on to the main portion of this episode. Our look and retrospective into the career of one D'Lo Brown. Now, first question. Fellas, what are your fondest memories of D'Lo Brown? You know, it's very funny. Ever since doing this podcast, I have never known two people to love D'Lo Brown as much as you two. Yes. That's because you haven't met people as based as us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible just how much you love this man. I mean, you got to look at it from our perspective. Growing up, me growing up with that era of wrestling, D'Lo was always an incredible mainstay in the mid-card and within the uh, the B&C shows. Uh, Sunday Night Heat especially, like, D'Lo was the guy in that on that show. <laughs> so I don't think there was any wrestler I saw more than... If I called it the Holy Trinity of the Attitude Era. It was D'Lo Brown, Al Snow, and Steve motherfucking Blackman. <laughs> yeah absolute crew <laughs> the pillars of the wwf may i <laughs> three pillars oh what are your memories dan 
so yeah mine are kind of the, the same obviously like my my brothers were massive into wrestling so whatever kind of like wrestling shows we were to get like for free or from here here's here's a concept for for all you listeners um having to go to the person in the flat upstairs is because they had sky and you didn't <laughs> yeah that's i was gonna be there and be like that's how it used to be like but like <laughs> For people to for people to realize, so yeah, that was what it was like, and obviously, like you said, like the like the Saturday morning shows and stuff. Mm. So there was always there was always a lot of that, and um, as anyone who has caught our our streams of it, um, <laughs> my brothers were very big players of WWF No Mercy, <laughs> and I don't know, man, I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> he was just cool. <laughs> he also saved our bacon during stable wars, so I feel like he has a place in the yeah. lore and history of the sweet chin wag. That's why he ha- that's probably why he has so much lore with us and why every time it comes along I pick D'Lo Brown. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that was that was really that was really it. And like also I guess for myself, uh, my brother was a really, really big fan of D Lo. Mm. So they probably carried along there. Yeah. Oh, nice. Very, very nice. Okay, then, fellas, let us start at the beginning. A place we always love to start here with these little retrospectives. So not much is known from what I could grab and see through shoot interviews, some articles here and there. I couldn't really get much into the childhood of D'Lo Brown, but what I could gather was his start um, before coming up, before coming up into the wrestling industry. So, born... AC Julius Connor on October 1970, D'Lo Brown, the man, the myth, the legend, was born in New Jersey before moving to Chicago, Illinois by way of Warsaw, Poland. I'm only kidding because of his European Championship run. (laughs) His alma mater was the University of Maine. He would get his start into wrestling in around about early 1990s. He would only make his debut in 1994 as he began wrestling in New Jersey as Ace the Animal. He would then wrestle sporadically with the WWF in the jobber role in 1994 under his name, AC Connor. Uh, his first WWF actually uh, jobber match was against Earthquake. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So, I couldn't either confirm nor deny it, as I only saw it from one article that I gathered on D'Lo. But the name D'Lo Brown came as a reference to his high school friend Darren Lewis, or D. Lewis Lowe, as uh, D'Lo would call him, who unfortunately passed away of cancer. He would ask Lewis's mother if he could use a name, uh, use the name as a tribute to her son, which she gladly accepted for him to use. Now, as I said, I only saw that in one article, so do not quote me on that if that is indeed true or false, but that is what I could gather from that one article. Delo, after that, would then make his first notable um, time as a wrestler in Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1994 as one-third of the infamous group The Gangsters, which included Mustafa Saeed and New Jack. 
Now, the problem I always have with this is I feel like for some reason D'Lo just doesn't fit that vibe. <laughs> no. Like, I look... D'Lo should be like shouldn't not be a thousand leagues near New Jack. I'm sorry. He was uh, he was billed as the head of security for the gangsters using the moniker of Downtown D'Lo Brown. Let me, hang on, okay, back no, up. That, back that's, up. Wait, 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 wait. A A that's awesome, but B <laughs> D'Lo to New Jack feels like the relation between like a Denzel Curry versus LL Cool J. <laughs> no, I, that's like, no, I'm like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. D-Lo is supposed to be, is it like D-Lo is protecting New Jack? Yes. Or no, D-Lo protecting is protecting people from New, from from New, from Jack. New Jack? That's what I, that's, that's, that's the real question right there. I would say a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, considering when, you know, like in the deep south of wrestling, New Jack was trying to get a visceral reaction out of the entire white crowd at Smoky Mountain. That is fair. I mean, if you've seen, if anyone's seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode all about New Jack, if I could take yeah. that infamous quote about OJ that he said, I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> which is why Smoky Mountain then continued uh, from that point forward with the gangsters to have the little watermark that says the views and the views of the gangsters aren't of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. <laughs> now, would you believe that the gangsters didn't last, well, after D-Lo joined them in 94, that the gangsters weren't, weren't long for Smoky Mountain Wrestling? I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why uh, i don't know maybe because it was just a you know you know the deep south and probably i i dare say that the gangsters were very well very close to the knuckle of what they could get away with without being killed i don't even think close to the knuckle touches it i think you're thinking more like the whole hand yeah true that's for true that's for true but they were but when the gangsters left in 1995 d would sign a deal at that time with the WWF and was sent to Heartland Wrestling Association uh, hey. for more training whilst also continuing to make more appearances as a jobber on WWF television. Heartland Wrestling Association, of course, is the is the home territory of uh, founded by Les Thatcher that also brought us people such as John Moxley, uh, Nigel McGuinness, and, uh, and, and The Blade, actually, is funny enough, is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Good little flipping, um, honestly, underrated promotion in terms of development. And Les Thatcher also gave us. Oh, let us not forget Les Thatcher trained Chris Hero. Um, it's always amazing when you realize that there's this small pocket of Ohio, mm. like a wrestling hotbed. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also during this time in development would spend 1996 wrestling for the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. Uh, where a lot of wrestlers from the WWF actually spend quite a little bit of time. Um, yeah. Gosh, uh, well, name your person through the Attitude Era, and they most undoubtedly wrestled in Puerto Rico for the longest time. Um, I remember specifically reading Pete Gass's um, autobiography, talking of his time in Puerto Rico with Rodney to kind of train up to become uh, more kind of more seasoned, because they were actually the original plan after the Mean Street Posse had um, dissolved was to actually bring back and repackage Rodney and Pete Gass as legit wrestlers. <laughs> I just, I love it because the whole the whole thing of just like sending them to Puerto Rico on like excursion. 
<laughs> it feels like it feels like a novel concept. Exactly. But, exactly, but, it, but I think it's a good idea, though. No, no, no. It's absolutely you true. All, you have all these. You have all these people that obviously need to be trained. Mm. You need to get the matches. And like we've kind of said before about like the whole NXT level up 2.0 evolve whatever system. Mm. About how they're basically just doing PC work and then they're competing against each other on a regular basis. Exactly. Actually, getting them out there and getting them with different wrestlers is actually a really good thing. So mm-hmm. the style doesn't become stagnant. So, D'Lo would make his official WWF main roster debut in 1997 as a member of the Nation of Domination, debuting as one of several nondescript people in suits that would accompany Farouk and the group to the ring. Now, if memory serves me right, D'Lo was joined at that time by Farouk, Clarence Mason, Crush, Savio Vega, and I wanted to I wanted to say um was it Wolfie D? No, that was during their time in the USWA was part of was part of that. So no, that group consisted of Farouk, D'Lo, Clarence Mason, Savio Vega, and Crush. During this time, though, his most notable moment was when Ahmed Johnson was slammed him onto the roof of a car during a Shotgun Saturday Night taping. <laughs> that is, in fact, a moment. That is, in fact, a moment. But his first match as member of the nation was on the April 26th, 97 episode of Shotgun Saturday Night as he, Crush, and Savio Vega defeated the dream team of Aldo Montoya, Steve Carino, and Freddie Joe Floyd, a.k.a. Tracy Smothers. <laughs> What a collection of people. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's, not, that's that's a collection you just pick out of a hat, frankly. Like, A, <laughs> yes, that is straight up, like, 30 years in the future WWE Universe booking. Yes. But also, like, <laughs> I love these things because they have just the most random collection of just absolute workhorse people. Yes. Yeah. Just like, incredible just having... Steve Carino and Tracy Smothers on the other team. Like, but... why? <laughs> <laughs> why not, Daniel? Why yeah, the question, not? The question, the question obviously is why not? Because the bigger question is why weren't all of those people, maybe with the exception of just incredible, but um, <laughs> why were the, why were these people not like the, that? This is basically like a like a collection of people that like wrestlers now are like yo, absolute like holy grails. Yeah, I've, we definitely have to do an episode of Tracy Smothers' life and career at one point because that guy has such an interesting career and should have gone further than he did. Uh, but no, definitely one for the future. But um, yeah, I, crazy, I isn't like it? In, I feel like we're in like the wrestling twilight zone. <laughs> ECW was bleeding over into the WWF, which it would do for yeah. the longest time around this time anyway. But no, yeah, um, yeah. on the May 26th, 97 episode of Monday Night Raw, he would actually have his first match on Raw, defeating Bob the Spark Plug Holly. That's when he had Bob Holly and Furman Sparky Plug kind of cross over at that point. Yeah. This was before Job Squad as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was soon after the King of the Ring 1997, Farouk would fire the rest of the ma- nation members except for D'Lo Brown, who was later joined by Ahmed Johnson, quickly being replaced by Rocky Maivir after Ahmed suffered a uh, an injury. Uh, it would be uh, Rocky Maivir, Kama Mustafa, and Mark Henry, and that is what I like to call. That they lost 
do you reckon they made a gain or a loss in trading uh, Ahmed Johnson for Rocky Maivia? I think they made. I don't know. I think it paid <laughs> off in the end. I think if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, like in a long enough timeline. Like <laughs> that's one of those ones. Long enough timeline, and now we're getting Black Adam. I honestly don't know, Dan. I honestly. Do I mean, not Ahmed know. Johnson is Black Adam. I mean, they could have. We could have had a future that had Ahmed Johnson as Black. Oh. Adam. <laughs> Step up to punchy. <laughs> Oh, juice make sugar. Anyway, this is what I like to call the goated lineup of the Nation of Domination. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a this this is like the lineup. Yeah. Ah, with with D'Lo and Mark Henry making up the tag team segment of the Nation yeah. stable, and this is when D'Lo started to get more as he calls it more ridiculous with his movements. Uh because the nation theme was getting a little more of a funkier edge to it he decided to exaggerate his movements in the ring and really start shaking his head hence why we now have the head shake (laughs) i love it though because it's a simple thing that you can do to make yourself stand out (laughs) exactly shout outs to troy by the way who just recently went to a training uh, seminar with d as the as the as the um as a head guy there and i must it's admit whole, did he whole thing. i want to ask whole thing. if i ever get the chance to talk to troy soon uh ask him did he did anyone tell him how to do that uh, like how do you do the head shake yeah <laughs> yeah it's a whole thing but um as i found out relatively recently uh dealer just really likes it in the uk and comes over for wrestling events a lot a lot he does he really does like the uk i mean there is that he was willing to go to grimsby now that's commitment i mean not many people in the uk would even do that I love that picture of of D'Lo right behind the bar of a pub pumping the pipes. Like it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Last My orders. favorite one was him being asked about the best fish and chips he had in the UK. Yeah, it's awesome. Yep. Honorary UK uh, citizen. Anyway, early 98 would yes. see the group turn on Farouk, allowing Maya Veer, now going by the moniker of The Rock, to assume leadership. It was during this period that Kama would also change his name to The Godfather and begin portraying his infamous pimp character. D'Lo and Henry would eventually both turn on Rock and Godfather separately, moving on into a feud with The Rock before branching out as a moderately successful tag team, turning face along the way. When it came to the end and the dissolution of the Nation of Domination, only two members were left, and that was D'Lo and Mark Henry. Of course, during this time, (laughs) Mark Henry was in a very infamous storyline involving China, um, which led to a very horrid backstage segment, which I'm not going to actually repeat what happened because we all know what happened in that one. Uh, uh, Don't worry about it. It was a different time. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. It was a different, worse time. (laughs) It was a worse time. Um, this, This, during this time, though, prior to the face turn, Brown would start wearing a chest protector during his wrestling matches, supposedly from a torn pectoral muscle in a match against Dan Seven. Instead, he would use the tech chest protector to his advantage, making the low Dan even more effective. Which, by the way, it worked, because it just it was just a massive heat magnet for D'Lo, that chest protector. But then again, I remember the chest protector D'Lo so much. Yeah. It was a look for... It was a heck of a look for him. 
The thing is, it it, lo- it just looked great. <laughs> exactly. Like straight up, <laughs> it just looked good. It just looked like a good piece of gear. <laughs> so, let's talk about his title pursuits. Ninety-eight, he would see f- uh, he would feud with X Pac over the WWF European Championship. Also, hell yeah. <laughs> He would he would win the European Championship on a couple on one occasion there, but his most famous run with titles would be him being crowned as the inaugural Euro Continental Champion during a feud with Jeff Jarrett and Mark Henry. He would only he would pick up uh, the European and Intercontinental Championships to become the first and possibly greatest Euro Continental Champion. Yes, Kurt Angle. Even more greater than you. <laughs> yeah, we know Kurt did it. Doesn't matter though. Listen, this. listen. Kurt is great. He's not great at literally everything. Come now. <laughs> I love this um, run for D'Lo because it just seemed like the European title, despite the fact that it was originally conceived as a title to be exclusively, you know, defended during house shows on the European circuit and to be hold, held predominantly by more kind of like the like for some reason europe uk and canada wrestlers canadian wrestlers it ended up being an incredible like lower mid card title and delo was there front and center as one of probably one of the 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 shining stars honestly of the european um title race um this defeat though of the Eurocontinental title has only been replicated a further three times gentlemen can you tell me who those three are. What, to be Euro Continental Champion? Yes, and may I also add, as a little hint for you, all three of these people have become world champions in some form later on in their careers. Okay. Uh, Mark Henry. Eh-eh. <laughs> okay. Well, I already You're gave right. you one. Well, yeah, Jeff... Uh, Kurt Angle, sorry. Correct. And you were... I think you may have got the second one there, Dan. And Jeff, Jeff Jarrett. Correct. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. Um, the third, Eurocontinental has been a world champion in his own right. Um, Would you like me to give you a hint on the third one? Um, he was... The, I'm he, just trying to think. He... <laughs> this, the third person won the European Championship when it was not the European Championship, but it was the New York City Hardcore Championship. Oh, okay. Well, that was when it was in a weird thing because Tommy Dreamer did that. Mm-hmm. So then it's someone that beat Tommy Dreamer for that New York City Hardcore thing. Um... Trying to think who, who would have been who around beat? that who would have been around that time to have beaten Rob it. Van Dam? Bingo. No, it wasn't R V D. It was, it was R V D. Jeff Jarrett, Kurt oh, Angle, oh, and Rob Van Dam. There it is. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, no, because he did that whole thing where he did the unifier. Yes. Mm. Yeah, okay, alright, I'll allow that. <laughs> So yes, the four people that have only been able to achieve that are D'Lo, Jeff, Kurt, and RVD. Three of them only three of them would would become world champion in some form later on in their careers. Which seems a bit of a travesty. You would have thought that uh, that D'Lo would have become TNA champion at one point. Anyhow, 
<laughs> As we get into 1999, D'Lo, again, becoming more champion here, there, and everywhere. But it's a shame that when we talk about this part that I have to kind of lightly touch upon this. I don't really want to get into it a bit too much. But, um, of course, D'Lo went on the October 5th, 1999 episode of SmackDown ended up having a singles match with Darren Drozdov, who was known as Droz at this time. And, of course, this match has never been viewed uh, to the public because this is the um, the very infamous moment where Droz was um, was uh, was paralysed from the neck down due to an uh, an accidental uh, an, an accidental power bomb that was mistimed by both by both gentlemen. Um, this sucks, honestly, because um, yeah. for both men involved, because. Uh, Draws would end up suffering a severe neck injury, as I said, rendering him, as they say, a quadriplegic. Um, D'Lo, D'Lo was absolutely heartbroken and was absolutely distraught after this. And I can imagine anyone in the situation was absolutely distraught. Would be, I can't imagine how D'Lo must have felt, the amount of guilt that he must have felt when this happened. Um, from all intents and purposes. And I showed you, I guess, the strength of character of both men. Droz has gone on records to say this isn't D'Lo's fault at all. I do not blame D'Lo yeah. one single bit for what happened. It was wrestling. It was an accident. It could have happened at any time to anyone. And I do not, do not blame the man for what happened at all. Um, D'Lo has said, gone on record as to say that he now, after this moment, he second-guessed pretty much everything with every match he was ever involved in from that point on, which I can't imagine how, yeah, it's like, how, how much that not? sucks. Yeah. How much that sucks. You know, how much that kind of gets you off your game when doing that, when you now, when you now can't help, but second guess every single move you're doing, even an Irish whip. He said that would, that I had to, I would second guess an Irish whip and it, it just sucked. I mean, D'Lo, there was another thing that D'Lo said in an interview. I can't, again, only saw it in one article, and I know it was in one episode of OSW Review that V1 brought it up. D'Lo said, you know, as a little kind of like a good luck, like superstition, like pre-match ritual, what I would do is when after I'd take my wrists up, I would, you know, roll a ball of tape and pop it into the sock and into my boot. I didn't do it on this night, and that happened, and I've never not done it since. Yeah, I've always, those are always one of those ones. It's always fit. Also, uh, to dispel any rumours that were going around on the internet, apparently there was a very popular rumour that a fan had thrown an object in a ring which caused D'Lo to slip. Not true. Not true at all. D'Lo's gone on record as saying that never that, yeah. that never happened at all. Um, after that, pretty soon after that, though, D'Lo would end up forming a partnership with the Godfather, um, eventually getting to the point where he would emulate his dress and walking motions, <laughs> but ending the team soon after when Brown turned heel on the Godfather. This brings us to a very weird team that D'Lo was part of during 2000 and 2001. The Lowdown, if you remember this. Teaming up... With the former headbanger Chaz, they would go on to form a team called the Lowdown, that would wrestle yeah. predominantly on Sunday Night Heat and Jacked Slash Metal. Shortly after they were formed, though, Tiger Ali Singh would become their manager. Of course. <laughs> and this is where the team took a weird turn when they came dressed 
down to the ring and in their ring gear in Sikh attire and taking on a gimmick very similar to Tiger Ali Singh's. Now, the team was shortly removed from television in January 2001 after Singh was injured and subsequently released. But it does bring us a very silly moment when D'Lo, who was scheduled for the 2001 Royal Rumble, had his spot taken by stand-up comedian and WWE Hall of Famer Drew Carey. <laughs> to which, I would be, I would be molding so hard. To which yeah. Tiger Ali Singh during this promo backstage promo with Vince would say, "Drew Curry, who's Drew Curry?" It's just. Oh, God. That's a great little moment, though. I will say that. <laughs> it was, according to D'Lo, this was the lowest point of his career, and he just did not want to... This is not what he wanted to do. Um, not wanted to be any sort of part of this. Chaz and Singh, though, were released soon after that in uh, uh, by the WWE. Brown would then stay in OVW predominantly, training mm-hmm. and, and taking uh, on future wrestlers of the WWE. One notable match was Brown wrestled future world champion, the Leviathan, a.k.a. Batista, in a losing Hell effort. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Also, also as much as, as much as like the animal Batista, the Leviathan Batista is so goddamn metal. I'm, I want to ask why that changed. <laughs> he, wrestled, he wrestled with tiger contact lenses and fangs, Reardon. Okay, that's less. That's less cool. Okay, okay, less cool. But like, like, but can you imagine? Right. Wait, wait. Just hear me out on this, right? Mm. Tiger contact lenses and like, do you say like, like vampire grin, fangs, and like vampire fangs, right? Right. Why? Why is that the Leviathan and not the animal? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, yeah. You know, that was actually going to be my second question. <laughs> So uh, on 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 the whole other end of the spectrum though, D'Lo Brown versus Batista, what a based match! <laughs> a great, that's just a great concept of a it's match. It's just sky, it's sky high versus Batista's spinebuster in like, like whose back will up, give out that's first? Based, yeah. <laughs> Brown would go back for an excursion to Puerto Rico at this time, wrestling for the uh, International Wrestling Association, and would hold the IWA Tag Team Titles with his partner Glamour boy Shane. He would return to the WWE on television in 2002 on an episode of Heat, losing to Eddie Guerrero. For the rest of that year, though, that Brown would mostly and predominantly wrestle on Heat, did a little bit of commentary on the show, and even had a little brief feud with Raven. I think Raven at this time was also trying to... Yeah. Uh, I think it was during this, like, um, the Seven Sins gimmick he was trying to get yeah, over on Sunday trying, Night Heat. He was... He got... The authorization to run a uh, a weekly like a weeks long storyline on like heat and then it got canned off the one week yes exactly exactly late 2002 theodore long would retire as a wwe referee and would go to manage D'Lo Brown. D'Lo at this time was complaining about acts of racism that was happening during his matches and him and Theodore Long saw common ground and united together. D'Lo would start Long Theodore Long's group Thugging and Bugging Enterprises. Now. <laughs> now. I'm, gonna put, I'm putting my hands up here. <laughs> right. I'm white. 
<laughs> but when you have a black wrestler that's complaining about acts of racism during matches, right? I don't think fogging and bugging is the right direction. You, you trust, know, you trust know, me, I'm just saying. As 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 the resident person of color on this podcast, I am I am liable to agree with that. That is <laughs> the the that is what we would call a step backwards. Yes. In the proceedings, <laughs> what the hell? So fucking and bungy. Ugh, I can't. I I just I can't. I can't. I can't say it seriously. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fugging and bugging enterprises would eventually turn into a whole group of African Americans that would work. That would work with the main angle being that they felt they were victims of racism and were being held down by the white man. Um, I say in the article here they had it in white in in, in quotes white man. <laughs> okay. Why not just call it Teddy Long Enterprises? Yes. With Long's managerial services, though, D'Lo Brand did go undefeated for several weeks. But it was during this time that we got the infamous, infamous Blackula segment with JR. <laughs> during Blackula. a during a match on Sunday on Monday Night Raw, D'Lo Brown versus the Hurricane. Jerry Lawler was talking to JR about did he know of any black superheroes? To which JR, completely honestly and unscripted, first thing that came to mind was. Blackula. Oh. To which JR, Jerry Lawler went, Blackula? <laughs> Blackula's a vampire. Side, side note to all of this, uh, uh, Jerry Lawler is in fact a comic book nerd. So. Yes. <laughs> oh, I did not know. <laughs> yeah, he's a giant comic book nerd. <laughs> I think is it Superman he's obsessed with? He's uh, yeah, absolutely obsessed with Superman. Which, which, yeah. which of course, for Jerry Law, absolutely tracks one. No, that, that, that tracks a lot. That does track no, a lot. I just you love the prospect that this Jr's first mind for black superhero was Blackula. <laughs> who, for, for for those don't who don't know, started out as like a black exploitation character. Indeed, yeah. and actually ended up becoming quite uh, quite beloved by um by the whole vampire and Dracula lore. So much so that he's now been folded into the actual kind of like official lore of Dracula. Incredible. <laughs> also, may I just add as well, not what what a lot of people don't bring up during this, is that Jerry Lawler goes, actually no, a name a proper superhero to which JR goes, Alright, I'll give you one. Shaft. <laughs> it just gets more confusing as you go on. I honest to goodness, after JR says Blackula, there's about twenty seconds of dead air as the match begins, and then Jerry comes back with Blackula. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. I just thought if there was never going to be a time when I needed to talk about this, it was going to be now. <laughs> no, no, no. You made the, you made the right decision. I can buy that Jr. doesn't know comic books. <laughs> yeah, my man's you... probably too. My man's probably do, too busy grilling and doing barbecue. Right. Mm. You, you know. You know what? However, with that being said, with that being said, I could see Jr. pulling an Elvis and being really into Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Junior. True. But like, like I, I would, really I would, that. I would figure though, at some point he would have come across a character like whether or not the argument of superhero is necessarily a thing, right? 
we were still at the point where Blade had been released. Yes! That's true. We, that we, is very we true. We are not even I'm a not year saying, removed. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not Blade even 2. saying it's like uh, like Blade was some kind of massive cultural moment. <laughs> Although, hey, ex- except the first one with the opening sequence, which I think everyone still remembers. But like, I figure at least there would have been at least like some cultural relevance, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, God's sake. Anyway, D'Lo would face Booker T in a losing effort on a February 2003 episode of Raw. Then his involvement with Fugging and Bugging Enterprises was brought to a close when footage was shown on the February 16th episode of Heat of Theodore Long kicking D'Lo to the curb and introducing his replacement, Rodney Mack. Oh, my God. One, two, two days previously, though, D'Lo was released from his WWE contract. This brings now. us to D'Lo's first tenure to total NWA TNA. Now, let me just say this, right? A, in my view, D'Lo is a vastly underappreciated wrestler. Yes. Of which I maintain my constant position, which is... Had it not been for the fact that D'Lo Brown had been around at a time where just mega stars were aplenty, he would have been a world champion in WWE. Correct. And I know that sounds like a redundant statement because, of course, yes, if there weren't a bunch of mega stars there, but we're talking about like the period of WWE where like they had like maybe seven people you could have called the top guy at any one point in time. Yeah. Like, when you're looking at a ceiling of Stone Cold, The Rock, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, uh, The Undertaker, if you want to put him there, I wouldn't personally, but you know. Um, Triple H, um, you know, and others. Like, yeah, what Like, what are you going to do? Mm. But this also leads me to a second point, which is that D'Lo's first TNA run <laughs> has some absolute hidden gems in it. Absolutely. He would join TNA. Because, because, and I know you're going to get to this, but there was a short-lived tag team of D'Lo Brown and AJ Styles in TNA. That was absolutely awesome. And for some reason, they just hit. They just hit. (laughs) I can't understand it because I remember I was watching it at this time when it was on the wrestling channel when D'Lo debuted. So I was right in the midst of this part of this little era of nwa tna they just hit different and so so different to what we had seen before and prior in nwa tna but no um d'lo under his name still of d'lo brown would join nwa tna in march of 2003 would team with aj styles on many occasions even uh, challenging for the nwa world tag team championships in an unsuccessful uh, uh, bout um and after that, they would actually end up having some banger matches in a best-of-three series for Styles' NWA World Heavyweight Championship. This also started a little storyline where an, uh, where uh, a slapnuts appears, Mr. Jeff Jarrett, trying to go D'Lo into turning heel because he couldn't get his title shot or couldn't win the big one. Strange storyline, but it leads into... Uh, into this in into the March nineteenth, two thousand and three edition of NWA TNA, Brown would team with Dusty Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett defeating the team. Oh my God! The 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 bastard sons of wrestling is what I like to call this team. Brian Christopher, Eric Watts, 
and David Flair. <laughs> Talk about a who's who of the absolute worst sons of professional wrestling. I mean, I'm looking at you, Eric Watts. I remember that drop kick from Starcade. No one forgets that drop kick from Stark. And let's not forget David Flair's amazing theme song in WWE. <laughs> oh man <laughs> an april 2003 edition of nwa tna um uh, d would unsuccessfully challenge jarrett for the nwa world heavyweight championship brown would then team with gran apollo and they would actually go on to win the nwa world tag team championships defeating kid cash and dallas now Here's a little fun fact for you, Reardon. Dallas would end up soon becoming Lance Archer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes, yeah, Dallas. Yeah. The former Lance Hoyt would then become Lance Archer of ADW. Okay. This is how the wrestling multiverse works. It exactly. is, isn't it? <laughs> after, after just seven days of holding them, they would lose the titles back to Dallas at DNA. DLO would soon then, in the summer of 2004, leave TNA. In a later interview, actually, in September of 2004 interview, actually, Brown would state that his time there when the creative team wasn't great because they wanted to radically change his character to be more what's the word stereotypical if i say if i i was gonna say as long as you are aware of the fact that i am doing air quotes the entire time i say this if i say they wanted to make his character more black full Mm. air quotes i mean this was also at a time where new jack was teaming with shark boy Early TNA is just like I I just don't know what I just don't know what to say honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Brown would also say that he didn't feel like a good fit in TNA at that time and he thought that it would be more beneficial for him at that time to go wrestle in Japan for a little while and see what he could do and as a matter yeah, of T- fact the thing is is that TNA at that time was that she just like will just like we're gonna have a bunch of people that people have most likely never heard of from like the the Georgia and Northeast independent scenes. Exactly. exactly. Um, and then just every other like well-known wrestler from the time that we can get. Exactly. Brown would go on to join All Japan Pro Wrestling. Yes. Competing in regular tours and eventually becoming a member of Takamichi no stable R.O. and D. Or roughly obsess and destroy. Thank you, Takamichi no <laughs> The members of, of R.O. and D were Taka, Tayo Kea, D'Lo Brown, Ball Buchanan, <laughs> Jamal of Three Minute Warning. <laughs> <laughs> Rico Constantino. <laughs> no, okay. he was bouncing about everywhere. That's fine. Mike Awesome. Based. Gigantes, who was known as The Wall in WCW. Just Incredible. Matt Morgan. And for one time as an honorary member, Masahiro Chono. <laughs> 
Right. Okay, all right. What, all I want to know is, what the fuck was Matt Morgan doing there? <laughs> all the other people I can completely understand. The fuck was Matt Morgan doing there? I have no idea. I don't want to know actually what he was doing there. That's also, that's also true because fuck Matt Morgan. But exactly, exactly. During one of these tours, though, for new uh, for all Japan Pro Wrestling in 2006. Brown would betray his members of R-O-N-D and would join the rival faction, Voodoo Murders. What a stable name. So, they are still going around to this day, may I add, right? There are a hell of a lot of members for this team. They include such members as Giant Bernard. Okay, yeah. Johnny the Bull Stamboli. (laughs) Chuck Palumbo. Okay. Satoshi Kojima. Okay, that's the yeah, I can I can live with that. Davari. I can live with that. Silver King. Okay. Lance Hoyt. Okay. Yeah. Lance Cade. Okay. Charlie Haas. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Did they just build this stable out of people from like SVR07? <laughs> yes. Rene Dupree. <laughs> This is just SmackDown vs. Roro 7 roster. Masato Tanaka. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. No, okay, Masato Tanaka's been bloody everywhere in Japan. Venny. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and of course, the one and only Bob Sapp. <laughs> the current members are, as of today, Taru, Chris okay. Vice, Shogun Okamoto. Yoshikazu Yokoyama and Suwama. (laughs) I'll be straight up with you. Out of all those names you said, I only know Suwama. And I know Taro, so. Okay. So. I I do also know who Venny is, but that's a separate point. During this time when he was over uh, during All Japan, he would also uh, regularly tour the United Kingdom, working for Irish Whip Wrestling in Ireland and working predominantly for IPW UK. It was during this time, as a matter of fact, when he was touring the UK, that he would become one of the lead trainers of the ill-fated TV show on ITV, Celebrity Wrestling. Do you chaps remember this show? Because I do. I do not. Let me... I'm just going to assume that this is something I did know about and have chosen to forget. Basically... And I probably have a good reason for it. It wasn't wrestling. It was basically gladiators but they trained it to be wrestling. It was co-hosted by then host of The X Factor, Kate Fortin and Rowdy Roddy Piper. That's a choice. The two trainers of two of the two teams involved were D'Lo Brown and Joe E. Legend, who you may know famously as Just Joe from his time in the WWF. Yeah. Now, he was the team. He were the... The, the 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 huge celebrity names they got for this for These this are show. These going to be the most mid 2000s celebrities. Oh, just as soon as I say this first name, in Delo's team there was Jeff Brazier, okay, Tiffany <laughs> Chapman, supermodel okay. Lalani Dowding, okay, Mikey Green. No idea who that is. Of uh, runner-up of Pop Stars: The Rivals, because no one knows that. Michelle Heaton. Okay, yeah. James Hewitt. <laughs> right. Jenny Powell. 
Who's Link, that? Former TV presenter, I think, of The Big Breakfast, or I think it might have been... Um, that means nothing to me. Exactly. Lee Sharp, former footballer. <laughs> <laughs> Scott And Scott Wright, who was in Coronation Street, I believe. Um, in Joe Legend's team was soap actor Mark Bannerman. Hey. Tennis, tennis correspondent Annabelle Croft. Okay. Big Brother winner Kate Lawler. Shauna Lowry, who was a presenter in Northern Ireland predominantly. Victoria Silvstead, which is the one that always confuses me. <laughs> Playboy model Victoria Silvstead. <laughs> Oliver Skeet, who is a show jumper. Ewan Thomas. <laughs> Phil Turner. And uh, rest in peace to the, to, to the uh, former presenter of Smart, Mark Spate. Mark was there? Mark Spate, yes. <laughs> what? They also, what? they also all had gimmick names, such as uh, Lee Sharps was the sharpshooter. Uh, Kate Lawler's was the brawler, because it rhymed. Uh, Mark Spates was the quick draw kid, which I actually think is kind of inspired, considering, you know... You know what? You know, oh, credit to you. That's good. That's actually really good. <laughs> and who won this? It was you and Thomas and Annabelle Croft who won it. <laughs> also, may I also add, they actually had mystery celebrities they had under masks. They included such people as John Fashnu, <laughs> Fatima Whitbread, what? And Neil Ruddock. <laughs> I genuinely think you might have just given me the most mid-2000s <laughs> evening entertainment show ever. It really was. Would you believe by three episodes, ITV canned it and moved it to a Sunday morning spot where no one watched it? <laughs> I fucking wonder why. <laughs> Into all right, let's move on quickly. 2008 would see Brand begin wrestling a number of dark matches for WWE, and soon after, in June of 2008, he was signed to a brand new contract and began working a little few more dark matches for the for the company. He he would make his television return on the July 2008 episode of Raw, defeating Santino Marella. Of course. Now, the reason why nobody really remembers this is because after that, Brown began, began making more and more sporadic appearances and eventually just kind of fizzling out of existence and would eventually be relieved of his duties and released from his contract in January 2009. Of course, due to cost-cutting measures. Cost-cutting measures. Brown, though would make his debut for Ring of Honor in February of 2009 oh when he God, was defeated yeah. by Nigel McGuinness for the World Ring of Honor World Championship. Pretty damn good match, if you ask me. I, say, I feel like I forgot about this. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a match you made up specifically, Sam. No, that I kid you not. Sam match. <laughs> I know it's a very <laughs> mean match, but I kid you not, it is... It's genuinely D'Lo's first match for Ring of Honor and was genuinely really good. <laughs> hey. <laughs> he would go to wrestle in Ring of Honor's seventh anniversary show in March, defeating Jay Briscoe. 
He would also regularly appear on Ring of Honor's then newly debuted television show on HDNet. And this is where he would start making a lot more appearances in the American independence scene. He would wrestle for Shikara in a surprise appearance, but he would fill in as a substitute for the uh, team The Cold Front during the 2009 King of Trios tournament. He came up short just just short in 2009 once more for the Ring of Honor Championship. But in Manhattan Mayhem on June 13th, he would tap out Colt Cabana in a four-way match, which also involved Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli. <laughs> yeah, no, but that but that fits for the time period, though. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like D'Lo would, fit re- would have fit really well with Chikara. <laughs> he, no, honestly, he did have some banger matches, actually, in Chikara. <laughs> <laughs> he would then eventually go over and wrestle for pro wrestling noah eventually reforming his tag team with bull buchanan to take part in the 2009 global tag league yeah they there's would... a weird there's a weird match between those two versus like someone in naomichi marafujin it yes. feels like a fever dream <laughs> <laughs> they wow. would go on to win and lose three matches with one contest went going to a draw giving them seven points placing them sixth out of the eight teams of that tournament outside of the tournament though he was undefeated in six-man tag competition adding keith walker to his team he also included a tag pinfall victory over mitsuharu musawa yeah uh, it's um i think it's in here um so it's from tag league 2009 <laughs> and to give you uh, a run on this you have uh buchanan dilo brown and keith walker defeat go shiazaki tamon honda and mitsuharu masawa <laughs> um you have buchanan and dilo brown defeat kensuke sasaki and takeshi morishima <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Buchanan, D'Lo Brown, and Keith Walker defeat Akira Tawe, Tsuyoshi Kikuchi, and Kenta Kobashi. And Buchanan and D'Lo Brown defeat Takashi Sugura and Yoshihiro Takayama. <laughs> Crazy. It's nuts. I, I need love to the... find them. I need to find the Marafuji one. It's so cursed. It's it would it, it's it's a crazy to know that actually Adilo would end up having one of Masawa's last matches as well. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, Buchanan and Adilo Brown defeat Naomichi Marafuji and Takashi Sugiura in the 2008 Global Tag League. <laughs> yep. It went 28 minutes. Holy shit. I didn't know Bobby Cannon could go 10 minutes. <laughs> I love it. It's so... Oh, my God. I just found another match from this card. Wait for this. What have we got? Uh, Buchanan, D'Lo Brown, and Bobby Fish defeat Akira Tawe, Kotaro Suzuki, and Ricky Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> Where was this? Why did I never know about this? I swear to God, Bobby Fish is 17 centuries old at this point now. Bro, I'm telling you, he had a match in, like, 1886. <laughs> shall we now, gentlemen, I say this now, shall we get to D'Lo's return to TNA in 2009 and Aces yeah, and Eights? There we go. There we <laughs> go. After retiring from full-time competition in 2009, D'Lo was re-signed by TNA as their lead agent. Additionally... 
Delo was in charge of talent development and acquisitions, heading up the kind of the weird reality but not really reality show that they had going called tna gut check if you remember this is where they discovered sam shaw the future oh, dexter I, loomis I, I remember gut check yeah because i remember infamously there was one where um i believe it was rick flair uh decided to go off script and yeah. give someone a job yep <laughs> if memory and that might actually have been sam shaw actually memory serving it, it might have been i can't be 100 percent sure on that one but Dilo was there in a backstage role for the longest time occasionally would pop up here there and everywhere and of course uh be a judge on the tna gut check show alongside bruce pritchard and al snow at one point as well <laughs> but on the march 7th 2013 episode of impact wrestling Brown would attack Kurt Angle and reveal himself as the vice president of Aces and Eights, turning heel in the process. And gentlemen, this is where we get to the Aces and Eights. Now, I'm not going to go over it too much because, again, yeah. it's one of those things that we've talked about in the TNA episode a little. we got to talk about it a little bit here, but it deserves its own episode because Aces and Eights is something special. Is it good? That re- that is uh, that is up for debate. That really <laughs> depends on what kind of person you are. <laughs> but we, but it's one that we... I mean, you have to be a you have to be a borderline psychopath to enjoy it. Exactly, or a massive fan of the Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say vice president it was pretty damn obvious who was under the hood of the vice presidency when in a skull in a skull kind of like balaclava because Dilo has a very distinct head shape <laughs> yeah, I'm don't just, worry about it i'm just saying it sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> Uh, eventually, though, you know, D'Lo would eventually lose his vice presidency in a, in a May episode of Impact Wrestling, losing to Kurt Angle. Um, and eventually, in July in July of 20, 2013, would actually announce his release from TNA. This would allow him to return once more to All Japan Pro Wrestling to take part in the 2013 Odo Tournament. He would return in a non-tournament tag match where he and Bambi Killer defeated the team of Burning, the team of Atsushi Aoki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, with Brown pinning Kanemaru for the win. But shortly after that, in the Odo tournament, Kanemaru would actually avenge his loss by pinning and eliminating Brown in the first round. For the rest of this tour, Brown predominantly worked mid-card tag matches, suffering pin losses here and there. And it was also announced in October of 2013 that Brown was was being announced for the next tour. But he would continue team regularly with Bambi Killer, which would eventually lead the two, forming a heel stable known as DK. No, not Donkey Kong. It was known as the Dark Kingdom, under the leadership of Kenzo, who is Kenzo Suzuki of WWE fame. Just... The multiverse is incredible. It's kind of insane. And I don't know how to feel about any of this. But which does also lead to, again, another series of somewhat strange <laughs> matches. Uh, it's so strange. Such strange time there. But he would return to Impact Wrestling in 2019 as a producer. Now, during 2020 Mania Week... He was scheduled 
to team with Mr. Anderson to reform the Aces and Eights at the TNA There's No Place Like Home anniversary show. It's basically kind of like a love letter to old school TNA yeah. that Impact were putting on. Eventually, unfortunately, the event was cancelled because of, of course, the Panasonic. God damn it, it robbed us of that. <laughs> it robbed us of a reunion of Aces and Eights. <laughs> But in January 2021, Brown would be one half of the Impact's new announced team with Matt Stryker next to him as his, uh, I think, uh, was color commentator. And I believe uh, Matt Stryker was play by play and D'Lo was color commentator. That role ended uh, early this year when he was uh, where he was replaced by Matt Raywalt, who, of course, we all know as Aiden English. Mm-hmm. We eventually did get the Aces and Eights reunion, though. He did the return of the reuniting Aces and Eights, managing, oh, for God's sake, he managed Garrett Bischoff or Wes Briscoe. <laughs> but fuck's sake, this is why we can't have nice things. Unfortunately, unfortunately, though, they did lose against Honor No More's Kenny King and Vincent, so they're, you know, silver lining and everything. <laughs> And pretty much from that point on, D'Lo would continue his role as producer and part of talent relations. And in September of this year, uh, Brown announced that he was done with Impact. And after that, he's pretty much here for the longest time, making appearances here and there and actually, you know, taking part in training seminars. You know, shout out to Troy, who was part of one of D'Lo's training seminars as well. And that is where we leave the career of D'Lo Brown at this point. So, fellas, a very eclectic career, if you ask me. It, <laughs> pretty much. It, it reminds me of um, what I like, like journeyman footballers. Yes. Where, like, they're, they're obviously good, but they're not, like, seen as, like, superstars. So they just, like, appear everywhere. <laughs> and, like, you just, like, you're there, and then you find out that you played, like, a season in, like, the Korean League or something. I mean, well, that that's the thing, like... <laughs> the announcement, of course, of Akin Fenwa. I didn't realize that he played. I think it might have been like Lithuania when he started, before yeah. he actually got into like an English team. But like this, but like this is the thing, though. It's like you have all these, you have these wrestlers that just like appear all mm. over the place, and like I think it is unfortunately one of those situations where there's someone who just has because of some because of being in a time of such insane levels. Yeah. He has unfortunately been left out of the conversation. But like everyone kind of should recognize the fact of what he means to wrestling. Yeah. He's a true unsung hero when it comes to wrestling with a very, very strange career. <laughs> yeah, like it, it is, it's definitely strange in between like that stint in that first stint in tna yeah where just like for some reason him and a young aj styles were just dropping bangers for no discernible reason <laughs> i can't remember what it is i literally think it's a match in early tna between elo and aj versus the flying elvises yes which famously included uh then to become jimmy wang yang but it's just a good tag match like it has no reason to be it just is yep <laughs> um and then like really random just like good matches from like his run in noah 
I, I do want to try and track down some of his All Japan stuff, though, because I haven't seen a lot of it. I've seen some of his Noah stuff. Same, But same. I haven't seen much All Japan stuff, which is weird considering he had, like, two free stints there. Yeah. I think I've seen one match from All Japan when he was teaming with uh, Bull Buchanan as part of R-O-N-D. So, like, uh, I definitely want to... I definitely want to look that up. If I can, I want to try and find that Bobby Fish one. <laughs> I've got to try. That's, that's cryptid material. I don't care. I want to see if I can find the lost media of celebrity wrestling and, and, and subject, not you two, but, but, but people, people in the US who listen to us, right? I want to, can't state enough how shit celebrity right you thought hulk hogan's celebrity championship wrestling was bad celebrity wrestling is a whole different level of fucking awful <laughs> okay global tag league 2008 day 19 <laughs> but i don't even want to know <laughs> it's but safe to say like again i've uh, delo's had one hell of a career which i think should now when you really think about it can't be scoffed at because he's had hell he's had a lot of championship runs wherever he's been he's had some banger matches with a lot of legendary names and of course was you know at that time one of the most you know um reliable hands in the wwe so i mean as you said with a with a roster that is yet to have been matched it's just a shame that D-Lo kind of got lost in the shuffle. <laughs> yeah. But, like, again, though, it's like, it's like you know, it, it, it's just one of those, like, victims of circumstance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But at least we can so. be here and but say... But again, also, in, in the same aspect, if you're a young wrestler looking to learn about how to do good wrestling, D-Lo Brown is a good place to start. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to do a good sky hire or a good or, or or a really unique form of the frog splash, you go to D-Lo. <laughs> yeah, you know, I it's... mean, hell, there's there's enough reasons why so many people out there copy his frog splash. Chris Bay's doing his version of it. Yeah, there's a reason why Leo Rush did it so much as well. Leo Rush did it. I think Trey Miguel did it for a bit. Yeah. Um, various other people like. Oh, I mean, to, uh, we didn't even talk. Like the lowdown is such a good finisher. <laughs> Oh yeah, the like, load the lowdown is is awesome. Such a good, I mean, sky high as well as kind of like an, a high elevated set out spine buster. Again, such uh, on paper when you say it doesn't sound like it's a like a like a very impactful finisher, but it is like the way Delo did it was awesome. I think I think by the end of this, I think we can all be in agreement. Dilo was good. Yeah, Dilo was, was good. really good. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I don't know why people, you know, like, obviously we can talk about that. But, like, again, in many ways, you know, if you want to talk, let's say, you know, well, he was never really a main eventer, but people like Dilo are so part of why a strong mid card is incredibly important. Mm. You need to have um, the ability to entertain and connect and give high quality matches all across your card exactly um and you know i think i think a lot of people are realizing now that there is a there's a lot to learn my thoughts are so sore after for training seven (laughs) (laughs) oh man i all i want now is if he is going to come over here regularly i want him to open a pub called the real deal arms (laughs) 
You click. Oh no, you gotta call the spot the lowdown. Oh, that, well, that's true. I mean, all I say is then, in that case, last orders instead of the bell, it's Delo's theme. <laughs> you look at the real deal that, now. That that's it. You call the you call the place the lowdown. Oh, you call the place the lowdown. What's the tagline? We give you the real deal. Yes. Hey, yes. Uh, marketing companies, sign me up. I'm about to put you all in the wash. D-Lo, you owe us one pound if you do that. <laughs> I've literally got open it up in Liverpool as well. It'll be easy, right? It'll be <laughs> awesome. He is a big fan of Liverpool, as a matter of hey, fact. I've got, the, I've got the game on lock. Honestly, man, this is crazy. <laughs> that is a very well, oh, a very fun fact about D-Lo. He actually is of, uh, he actually is a fan of Liverpool. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that is where we're going to end this episode. Nice little one. Good start, if honestly. And I have enjoyed my time reading all up about D-Lo. As I said, bloody good and a really, really solid career he has had in the world of professional wrestling. Our next episode, we're going to give props. I'm so glad in our next episode, we're giving props to quite possibly one of the absolute best women's wrestlers that has ever been in the squared circle. Hell yeah. We're talking about jazz on our next episode. Hell yeah. Let them know. Let them know. know to the people in the back. Jazz is fucking awesome. And I'm so happy to talk about her life and her career and how she ended up, if you ask me in her time in WWE, especially when she started, stepped up the game for the rest of the women's division, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But that is all for the next episode. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Web Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye. Bye. You're looking at the real deal now.